Good afternoon and welcome to Talk of the Towns. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities, to share what works and to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns has aired on WERU Community Radio since 1993, dedicated to the proposition that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio in which those of us in the studio, or the virtual studio in this case, and you who are listening, create a dialogue we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I'm your host, Ron Beard, hoping you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Just a reminder that this show is being recorded, so we won't be taking calls at this, uh, this afternoon. The U.S. is peculiar among the most developed nations in its approach to healthcare. Private pay and employer-provided health insurance has been augmented by government support, but not all people are covered, and many face economic hardship from high medical bills. And Maine is taking a look at the possibility of um, universal health care um, with the folks from Maine Healthcare Action, uh, sponsoring a petition drive um, to, to uh, get a referendum on the ballot for November in 2022, next year um, at this time. And so we're gl- delighted to have some folks from Maine Healthcare Action um, joining us today on Talk of the Towns. We have um, Lisa Savage. Uh, Lisa is a uh, Maine Healthcare Action board member a retired educator living in Solon. Rachel Herbner is a volunteer um, with the group from Belfast. Valerie Dornan is a volunteer or retired teacher with experience of uh, in England of the National Health Service there. She lives in Hancock. And Bill Clark is a retired physician. He's on the board of Maine Healthcare Action. Uh, lives in Brunswick, and he's ex- had experience, I believe, in France of having a, a national health system. So welcome to you all. I'm so glad you could be with us. Let's get started with um, each of you doing a, a bit of an introduction um, to yourselves. And I, I think if you could share a little bit about um, you know, who you are, but also why you decided to get involved with um, this um, uh, main health care action and the petition drive. Lisa, could we start with you? Sure. Thanks, Ron. Um, So I'm Lisa Savage from Solon. I'm a retired educator, also an activist and organizer, and I ran for the U.S. Senate in 2020. Um, Before I retired, which is fairly recent from teaching, um, I was aware of the desperate needs in my community around health care, including dental and mental health care and substance use disorder, uh, mental health care. Many of my students were adversely affected because their primary caregivers lacked health care. Uh, it had quite an effect on, um, you know, their education, where they lived. And then during my uh, our Senate campaign, my experiences talking to voters revealed that health care was the number one issue for Mainers of all ages to, uh, to be concerned about. And I found this to be true, whether I was in Portland or in the second district where I live. So I'm motivated to uh, pursue this ballot measure, this resolve. And thanks for having me on, Ron. Great. Valerie, let's go to you. Valerie Dornan, um, tell us how you got involved, a little bit about yourself and how you got involved. All right. Well, I lived um, about half of my adult life in the UK where there is a universal health care single payer system. It's called the National Health Service. And our whole family loved it. And when we moved to Maine, I wanted to work towards an equally good healthcare system here. Uh, I feel as though it's a case of not knowing what you're missing. 
Sure, sure. Uh, Rachel Herbener, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what motivated you to get involved. Hi, um, I moved here from Chicago three years ago. And um, so I had been involved in like anti-war and social justice and environmental organizations there. And basically, I feel that human beings need to you know, have hope as far as like and um, the choice, the, the possibility to live a fulfilling life. And with no health care, when health care um, costs um, are prohibitive and can completely control the direction that a person's life can take, um, that's that's just not not acceptable. Um, so we really need to um, move the system so that we are you no longer having to make choices about how our lives are going to unfold just based on whether or not we can afford health care. Mm, thanks. And how about you, Bill? As a retired physician, you have um, a, um, a slightly different point of view, but you've long been an advocate for um, single payer or universal health care. Yes. Uh, Medicare was passed in 1965, the year I graduated from medical school. And I said, oh, my God, pretty soon everybody will have health care. But we're still working on it. So um, I came to or my family came to Maine in 1987. and. Um, I have, I, I worked here in addictions and internal medicine and uh, not well, about 10 years ago, joined Maine All Care and subsequently this campaign. I, I have a more personal interest also because I have three kids. My daughter is a lawyer who's fully insured. My uh, older son is a nurse who uh, recently lost his job. So his family of uh, three, four people is currently uninsured. And my other son is a carpenter uh, who really write, would rather write books, um, but he doesn't have the money to get health insurance. So he's not covered either. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm awfully tired of talking about this and not seeing much happen. So that's where um, main healthcare action comes in. And I'm just so excited to be able to work on this both at the board level and out on the streets gathering signatures. So some folks may have heard of Maine All Care, and now this um, effort um, to create a, a referendum question. Could you just, Bill, explain the difference or the connection between those two organizations for our listeners? Let, let uh, Valerie, I know, wanted to talk about that. So why don't you speak about it, uh, Valerie? Um, all right. Main, Main All Care was organized first, and I, it's been going for more than 10 years. And it was um, a group of grassroots, it was for people at grassroots level who were concerned about healthcare and wanted to work for healthcare reform. And um, their, their mission was, our mission is to educate people, to let them know about other ways of having a healthcare system. And we've been active in many different ways, including um, attending public hearing at the legislature in Maine and testifying and um, it, part, educating legislators as well as the general public. And then um, we, Maine All Care, enough people in Maine All Care wanted to get in more involved and be have a stronger action. And we decided to, um, go for a petition to get a, to get on the ballot, and to do that, we had to form a sister organization for because we have a different tax status, and that's Maine Healthcare Action. 
So we're really sister organizations. A lot of us work for both of the both of them. We're working for the same with the same goal in mind. And that's the difference between them. It's really a tax status difference. Great. So um, who would like to take the question of, of what would be, if, if we're successful, if you're successful in getting enough signatures um, for um, a ballot initiative in November, what is it that people are actually asked to, to vote on? What, what would that referendum question look like? I don't think it's been written yet, but what would it look like? What would it entail? I, I want to make one comment and then maybe Lisa could answer the question, but uh, it's a, we've, we've proposed a resolve, not a referendum. Okay. The resolve is much, much simpler. It doesn't have many details in it. It just says, legislators do your job, take care of us. Um, it, but no specifics. And that makes it a lot easier to talk about. Uh, so so uh, using the same process, as a referendum, but you're, it's a resolve, which is much more, it's, it's directive to the legislature rather than the proposing the legislation itself. Yes, it says to the legislature, do this for main people. Great. Lisa, what would you add to that? Well, um, many people have asked, and it's a good question, uh, why a resolve rather than a referendum? In Maine, I think we're more familiar with the referendum. Um, the process of getting it before the voters and the voters um, you know, voting it up or down is the same as a referendum. But, um, you know, the uh, the Maine Healthcare Action organizers realized that many states had undertaken ballot referendums that attempted to, you know, do the same thing, provide health care for citizens. But the efforts have been very, very uh, opposed and challenged by well-funded opposition that, you know, launches huge, expensive advertising campaigns to misinform and mislead voters and skillfully craft messages that are sort of, you know, fear mongering and nitpicking of different uh, parts of the referendum that might or might not be uh, appealing to voters. So having to defend each and every specific article and clause of proposed legislation has not been a winning strategy. Therefore, Maine Healthcare Action felt that with our resolve, uh, both supporters and opponents would have to provide testimony directly to our legislators. They would have to come in and talk, talk to the main legislature about, you know, here's what we, if, if, if we, I'm confident this will pass um, if we can get it on the ballot and I'm confident we can get it on the ballot, but then the well-funded opposition would be lobbying hard in the legislature, but the legislators would have heard the will of the people expressed. Right. Uh, Lisa, you said earlier that you thought um, um, as you were on the campaign trail and then uh, subsequently that people are ready for this. And in fact, as you talk with legislators, they're ready for it, too. But it sounds like they need a little bit of a push um, to, to, to almost to do the right thing. And that's what this resolve would do is to is to push them into actually doing the, the homework that would lead to universal health care. Indeed. Yeah. Okay. So, um, what is universal health care, and how how is it different um, than what we have now? We have this kind of um, system that's evolved over time, um, that's that started uh, with private pay. I'm sure that um, you know our great grandfathers and great grandmothers probably paid the community doctor, uh, maybe in, with eggs and and milk. 
um, to, to, to take care of them. Um, and then we seem to have evolved into a system where, oh, we expected employers to pay um, for in health insurance. And that was a, an enticement. Um, it also was a, it was a good business practice. And then, Bill, as you said, Medicare came along in um, 1965. So the government began to, to be more active in this process. But we, we certainly didn't go where other countries have gone. And that's to say, this is a healthcare is a right and, and government ought to be paying for that. Bill, can you kind of take up the story and provide a little more detail there, if you could? Uh, um, as a, I mean, I've been interested in health policy since I took a, a fellowship at the Harvard School of Public Health a while back and uh, just closely following all this. So, um, the, Let's see. What was the question again? The exact well, question? just just kind of begin to describe our current system and how that would change into um, something that was universal health care. Right. So universal means everybody is covered. That's number one. Every single resident of Maine would be covered if this resolve passes and the legislature does its job. Um, so that's a key difference between the current system and the proposed system. And it's the key difference to um, the uh, systems in all other countries, rich or poor. Now, if you look at rich countries relative to you know countries that are like the USA, we are at the top of the list in the costs of healthcare, and we are at the bottom of the list of 11 countries that were compared in 2020 in healthcare results. So you know we're paying more and getting less. And it's really discouraging, and at times I feel disgusting. Um, so what we want to do is change all that and and move towards a system that covers everybody. Now, this has been tried uh, in the U.S. In fact, back in the uh, I think it was a, I can't remember the dates, but California passed a referendum and and passed the law um, in both their houses, but Arnold Schwarzenegger vetoed it, so it didn't go anywhere. So then New York currently has passed this kind of legislation in both houses, but Governor Cuomo did not sign it. So it hasn't gone there. Several other states are very active at this. And the question is, why are so many states active? And the question is that Congress is kind of stumped and frozen on this. They don't have the political will to take on the insurers and all the other folks who are making millions. Uh, on healthcare, I'll stop there for the moment. Well, perhaps each of you uh, could could kind of reflect on um, that that gap. Um, the U.S. isn't getting healthcare results because not everybody is covered. Um, in other words, we have some some people who are very sick because they don't have the ability to get health care. And that that means that the average um, outcome is diminished. I mean, that's, that's part of the, the story. Um, but how else would you dis, kind of distinguish between what we have and what you're you're looking to provide? Um, well, I can kind of Lisa? jump in. Here. Please, um, Lisa. Yeah. Right now we have a patchwork, a mishmash of different systems delivering um, health care. I think the assumption that because someone has health insurance, they have health care is a really um, a falsehood because many people who have private health insurance, in other words, they're using for-profit private health insurance companies 
to um, ensure their healthcare needs can't afford to uh, use their healthcare. They might be able to afford their own premiums, although many people in Maine, which is a you know a, not a high earning state, uh, can't even afford the premiums. They just have these kind of catastrophic um, policies where they. Uh, you know, the deductible is extremely high, like in the five figures, and they just have those in case something really, really uh, goes wrong because they can't afford to pay very high premiums. Then also the deductibles and the co-pays on regular, you know, many people call it when I was on the campaign trail, it was more often referred to as the unaffordable care act when people were talking about, um, you know, it's also known as Obamacare because it was um, implemented at the federal level uh, during the Obama administration. Um, I know people that live in Mexico part of the year in order to get their uh, health care routine and also elective procedures done for a reasonable price. Um, even in employer-based insurance plans where the employer contributes to the cost of the premiums, the employee is still liable for all the deductibles and co-pays. Um, this is a major reason why health care costs are a leading cause of mortgage defaults. People who lose their home in the U.S., often do so because someone in the family had, you know, big health care needs. And um, it's just so expensive because there's a profit margin in there. It's typically about 30%. So like 30 cents of every dollar spent on health care in this country is just profit for the health insurers. And these uh, insurance companies are headed by CEOs that make millions of dollars uh, annually. And they have uh, spent an incredible amount of money lobbying legislators and um, you know, uh, Congress people in Congress to make sure that they keep their uh, profits in there. We also have a large system here in Maine that I am part of as a retired uh, member of the teachers union. We have better private insurance than most because of the power of collective bargaining. The Maine Benefits Trust negotiates not only on behalf of educators, but state employees as well, which is a pretty big group of employees for Maine. And it can have some clout in negotiating uh, costs. And also there's a trust there that sometimes buffers increases to premiums in some years. Um, but all the public health care in our state is what's called means tested. You know, you, if you're young enough, or if you're low income enough or disabled enough, you can maybe get main care. Or if you're old enough or disabled enough, you might get Medicare. If you're a veteran who meets certain requirements, you might get a VA, Veterans Administration Health Care. This patchwork of systems leaves out a lot of people, as Dr. Clark pointed out, in his own family, and it leaves out a lot of body parts. Hmm. Uh, for instance, Medicare doesn't cover vision, hearing, or dental or prescription drugs. Uh, people have to buy supplemental private insurance for those to cover those things. So um, it's not at all a universal system, and it's very costly. Hmm. So what you um, know about how it works in other places that have universal um, health care, um, how does it work? <laughs> um, who pays? Um, what's the, the role of the physician and the health care providers? Uh, what's the role of the consumers or the patients? Um, how does all that work in, in uh, countries, Valerie, like, uh, like England? What was your experience? Um. I was, we were completely happy with this, the service we got for our healthcare when we lived in um, the UK. Um, I was a teacher there and from my, um, my contribution to the national health, national health service was deducted at source. So that means that it was taken out of my paycheck 
every month. And that was the end of it. I never paid another penny. And uh, one time when I was testifying in the legislature in Maine, a, a legislator there asked me, well, how much were you taxed for it? And I wasn't able to answer him. And I thought about it afterwards. The reason I wasn't able to tell him was it was insignificant. It was taken out of my paycheck. I didn't notice it. But what I got in exchange for it was complete peace of mind. And that's what we want out of any insurance. Mm -hmm. We want, it's right that everyone should pay. But once we've paid, we want peace of mind that we've made our contribution and there will be the funds there to cover us when we need them. Um, I can give lots of examples of what happened to us medically there. And I'll start with, I'll start with a few. Um, Just a brief, brief one and we'll go to somebody else, but yes, tell us, tell us your experience. Okay. Um, Well, Um, For example, my children were born there and they were and when they were young, you know, they're getting coughs and colds and things all the time. And I would take them to the doctor. And I remember on one particular occasion, my daughter was very grisly. I took her in. I didn't know what was wrong with her. And the doctor um, said, there's nothing really showing at this point, she said. And these were her words. And this is what she said to me in different words. She said, So if she doesn't sleep well tonight, if she's grisly, just bring her back tomorrow. Just Mm. pop her in the office tomorrow. And that's how at home I felt with my doctor, with the system. And again, I could have gone back the next day and I wouldn't have been asked to pay a penny. Contrast that to my niece who has children the same age as mine living here in Maine she never took her children to the doctor unless it was a dire emergency. Mm. That's just one example. Sure. Bill, what would you add to, to a description of how it could work? Again, knowing that the legislature has to work on all the details, but in your, in your best estimation, how would it actually work? The, the relationship between um, the government, the providers and the consumers. I think, uh, Valerie hit on the the key parts of the relationship between uh, providers of all stripes, nurses, doctors, and uh, and others, and, and consumers. I, although I like to call us patients instead of consumers, and um, and uh, government and the the government it just works behind the scenes and isn't you know you don't see government in the other countries that are providing care all the time. And I think I think Canada, as much as some people uh, dislike what's going on in Canada, is a great example. You know, they each province has its own planning committee. They get to decide how to spend the money that they raise in taxes, plus whatever comes from the federal level. Um, and it's distributed then to the providers. And uh, so there's a certain amount of independence. And the, the province gets to decide where the next hospital will be built or whether it makes any sense to build a big new cardiac care facility, which costs a bundle, but of course in this country makes a bundle of profits as well. So, you know, there's there's nice regulation about how much healthcare of what kind is available to um, the Canadian citizens. And they do a great job, despite the negative things that you hear 
no system is perfect, of course. So right. I'll just remind listeners that they're tuned to Talk of the Towns. We're talking about how um, folks in Maine are, are looking at universal health care under the auspices of the Maine Health Care Action uh, Group that is proposing a resolution um, to be voted on in November of 2022. Um, that resolution would direct the legislature to work out the details and come back with a plan for universal health care. We have in the in the, uh, in the program today, you've just heard from Bill Clark. He's a board member, retired physician living in Brunswick. You've heard from Lisa Savage, um, also a board member, a retired educator uh, from Solon. Uh, Valerie Dornan is a volunteer, retired teacher, uh, had experience in England, lives in Hancock, and Rachel Herbener, a volunteer from Belfast. Rachel, tell us a little bit more about why you decided to get involved. You've you've, you've said you've kind of moved to Maine. You, you knew you wanted to get involved. And, and perhaps maybe you've been out collecting signatures. What have you heard from people? Yes. So um, actually, when you say the word uni- the words universal health care, many people um are very, very supportive. And there's this general reaction like, well, yeah, it's about time. What's wrong with the United States, et cetera, et cetera. So um, in certain ways, it's easy to collect some signatures. Um, it's interesting when I, um, it's, it's helpful that it's a resolve because one of the questions that people often have is, well, how are you gonna pay for it? How's this gonna work? And so since it's a resolve, I can say, well, that's what the legislature will figure out. And then when they figure it out, then you will get to vote on it. And so that way it puts less of a, you know, people don't have to make as, as big a decision, shall we say, um, about, about it. And it kind of diffuses that very common question. How are we going to pay for it? Um, and then also, um, I mean, it's been fun talking to people, say, who um, like are in the military and say, and they're like, oh, you know, I'm in the military, so I really don't, you know, I'm covered. And, and so then I can say, well, do you like your coverage? <laughs> what do you think? Maybe other people would like that coverage. And so why don't you sign this? So um, it's, it's, um, it's really a, a great, a, a great one to work on. It's, um, it's, um, you know, less divisive than maybe others. <laughs> right. Right. And you, and you as, as others who are collecting signatures are bound to hear stories of um, the, the problems, but you're also hearing um, the hopes of people. Yes. Um, and that's what the yes. message is for the legislature is that Maine people really hope for something that's, that's better than what we have, um, that you're, you're able to convey that as well. They really do. And then one other parting thing is that I am, I now work um, part-time at Waldo County Hospital. And what I do is I, it's non-medical. What I do is I sit with people with dementia um, so that nurses are freed up so that they can be doing the nursey thing. (laughs) So, um, but I hear, I mean, I hear when I'm there, I hear um, like people from the hospital having to come in and talk to patients, patients who are in there and discussing how they're going to pay for it what their insurance will cover, what it won't cover, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, that's sad. Right. Lisa, tell us a, a little bit more about um, your, your um, thinking. You've probably heard um, people who might be um, opposing this notion. What are, what, who are likely to be the opponents? Um, well, not, to, not, to, not to the resolution, um, sure. or, but to the notion that we ought to have a universal health coverage. 
Yes, well, um, my husband and I worked the polls in Farmington uh, this past election, and the most common reason people gave for not signing was some version of, well, I already have health care. Um, oh. I'm not sure what people think about. We're in the middle of a pandemic that's uh, accelerating rather than um, decreasing at this point. Again, we're in the fourth wave, and, you know, um, we have gone through this whole pandemic without a public health care system. Public health means we're all in the same germ pool. And mm -hmm. in today's modern uh, global travel, we're in the same germ pool with, you know, everybody on the planet. And to not have a public health care system that oversees the public health and um, provides the care that people need so that they don't become super spreaders and that they can be taken care of when they're ill. Um, I just feel that people probably who are just thinking of themselves and their family maybe have not trained as epidemiologists. They're not really thinking about the aspect of how diseases spread. You know, we've lived in a time when um, healthcare has been uh, able to eradicate a lot of diseases that, you know, my parents generation were terrified of uh, polio and even smallpox was still around and so forth. So um, the emphasis on public health so that everyone can be more healthy. And of course, it's a very valid question to ask, how are we going to pay for it? As Bill pointed out, we're already paying for it. We're just not getting it in the sense that the healthcare dollars that uh, U.S. spends on name any procedure uh, appall people in other countries. They cannot believe that, say, an appendectomy or having a baby um, uh, costs as much as it does. And, um, you know, Maine already gets quite a bit of federal money for health care and uses it in different ways. So, you know, that's a start right there. And again, employers would be relieved of the um, economic pressure of providing health care for their workers, and they could contribute in the form of taxes, just like companies in the, all the rest of the world do to a robust public health system. It would, uh, you know, if people can engage in preventative care rather than waiting until it's an emergency and going to the emergency room, people live uh, more productive lives. They, they're out of school less, they're out sick from work less. Um, and just in general, we, uh, this is a very, very inefficient system that uses up a lot of resources and uh, generates relatively little health care in exchange for it. Valerie, what would you add to, to the discussion here? I wanted to add um, a little bit more about the cost and the finances for such a thing. And obviously that's paramount in everyone's mind. And um, two things, there's been a study done by MESEP, which if you look on our websites, you can look at the study, which is an economic study showing how it might, how it could impact the finances but I also want to mention that there is a Finnish journalist, Anu Partanen, who, who came over from Finland, married an American, and lived in New York City. And she ended up, um, because she was a journalist, she did a lot of research. She was really, she did a very strong comparison between her life in Finland and her life in the States. And... Um, her bottom line was that the total taxes, the total taxes that we pay over here was about the same as what they pay in Finland. She said in New York city, they pay more than they do in Finland. And she said, and 
what you get for your taxes in, in Finland are free health care, free preschool uh, child care, free university. Whereas we're paying the same amount of taxes or more, and we have to pay for all of those things on top. Mm-hmm. So when people say to me, how are we going to afford it? The answer is really, we can't afford not to do it. Mm-hmm. Bill, how about some of your colleagues um, in the health um, uh, provider uh, sector? Um, what's a range of kind of views that you're hearing um, from some of your colleagues or your past colleagues around this question of universal health care? Yeah. Uh, thank you. I'll speak to that just briefly. Um, all the primary care providers, that's uh, uh, internal medicine, family medicine, pediatri- pediatrics, and psychiatry, they're all very much in favor. I mean, they want it simplified. They want to have relationships with their patients, not with insurance companies. And they want to be able to have a staff that can count on delivering to the patients instead of uh, having endless conversations on the phone with insurance companies that don't produce much of anything. So that's one aspect of it. The other is that the higher paid specialists worry a bit that they won't get well paid and the, of course, the reality is that the, no system is going to go without those specialists. We need them. And so they will be provided for. And in fact, if you talk to uh, specialists in other countries, again, Canada is a good example, you know, they get paid two weeks after they deliver the service, no questions asked, and they get paid well. They don't get paid as handsomely as in this country, but nobody's complaining. You know, mm-hmm. they get the pay quickly. They're delivering services to the people that need the services, and they're working in a system that makes sense for the population of the province. And that's the, that's the case for most of the uh, for all of the uh, sort of universal coverage countries. So providers can definitely do well, although there's enough skepticism about how the legislature or other rule makers would treat that, that they're, you know, a little hesitant to sign on unless they're a primary care provider. Sure. And um, so that leaves, um, I suppose, hospitals and um, the insurance companies. um, How are they likely to be viewing um, this resolution? What do you suppose? And you probably heard from some, um, uh, Lisa, you probably heard some from someone you were campaigning. What, what are their views? Um, and again, we, we don't have a call-in program. We can't, can't uh, we're not going to have them on the, this particular radio show, but um, what do you imagine their views would be? Well, uh, you know, I don't hang out with insurance company executives and go on their yachts. And you don't. So, um, <laughs> I don't know, uh, but I think I can make an educated guess that they will be against it because they certainly pull, pour millions of dollars into lobbying legislatures uh, and the governor to keep this from happening. Hospitals are economically very vulnerable. Um, even before the pandemic, that was true here in Maine, where so much of it is rural and um since the pandemic, they've really been struggling. They have, you know, uh, a lot of um, a lot to gain from a system where you were guaranteed prompt payment for services and you knew what you were going to get. It was eye opening to me that probably 20 years ago or so, I noticed that my healthcare providers were more angry at insurance companies than I was. 
Hmm. Um, they because the amount of staff time, as Bill alluded to, that's spent wrangling with, and you know, many healthcare providers have said, I, I'm burned out. I have a standard of care that I have to uphold to feel okay about this job that I've taken on. And the and the insurance company is this middleman, these bean counters, you know, profit motive standing in the way of me caring properly for, for my patients. And it's, you know, it's tearing me up. This is not what I signed on to do when I went mm. through uh, medical school or nursing training. So I think insurance companies are the only ones that are really going to be negative about this. And, you know, all the rest of us will benefit uh, quite a bit from a healthcare system where you can guarantee that you can get the care you need and you can prescribe the care that people need. Bill, go ahead. Uh, it comes to dad. I just want to point out that the, the hospital situation is kind of mixed because there are many, many specialty hospitals that only do specialty care. They're making money hand over fist and they're sending it off to the Cayman Islands. And some of the more um, general hospitals, I, can't, I won't name names in Maine, but I will name names in Massachusetts. The Peter Bent Brigham and the Mass General are now one hospital system. They have millions of dollars set aside so they can build a new cardiac care unit to provide more specialized care where they can, you know, again, make, make the big dollars and sort of they act like big corporate entities, not like a service organization, like our local and smaller hospitals here in Maine do. Uh, you know, they, our local hospitals serve patients. The big, big hospitals serve, um, their, serve themselves, trying to get bigger and get a bigger chunk of the market. And they're really becoming more and more part of the corporate health network. And it's very difficult to see. I've had some discussions with uh, people on the boards of big hospitals, and they're pretty negative about um, health care for everybody funded by um, public funds. Mm. Um, we hear the phrase Medicare for all. Um, is, that, is that the same as universal health care? Is it different? Um, how would you answer that question that probably comes up in your petition, uh, seeking, seeking people to sign the petitions? How do you answer that question? Yeah, Medicare for all is a type of universal health care because of the way this resolution is worded. It doesn't uh, stipulate that it has to be a Medicare for all type system. Um, You know, one of the uh, appealing things about Medicare for all is it's a single payer system, but the the, health care providers aren't employees of the government. Every doctor uh, you know, has a, a billing code for the federal government and that Medicare number already exists. And, you know, you could, um, on, at the at the national level, many people, including myself, have worked uh, for Medicare for All because it's a system that's kind of ready to be improved and expanded and it it's already working. Um, so, so the, the result could look like it does in, uh, in the UK, as right. Valerie was showing us in the National Health Service is not right. a Medicare for all single payer insurance, uh, insurance scheme. But the, the resolve that you're going for um, gives some latitude, I suppose, to the legislature to devise the system that they feel would work best for the, for the state of Maine. So um, you know, when, when you get the question, I suppose you could say, well, that, that's one of the options that the legislature has to devise a system that is like Medicare for all, as long as it provides insurance or coverage for everyone. 
votes, right? It opens the space for that discussion to be had at the state level. And I think I've worked on other, you know, petition gathering um, and uh, campaigns. And I think that people in Maine are pretty, they like citizens initiative and they like the fact that many times people will say, well, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I, I'll, I'll put it on the ballot and see what the voters say. They're willing mm-hmm. to sign because they, you know, they, they believe in democracy and they think it's more democratic to let, you know, direct voters say yay or nay on an idea. Um, right. I think we're lucky in that way here in Maine. Um, you know, we do need volunteers and donations to get us over the finish line here. Um, uh, by the rules, we have to turn our uh, petitions with validated signatures to the town clerks who said, yep, that's a registered voter um, into the state by the end of January. And we've been working for months gathering signatures, but because again of the pandemic, many places uh, like the common ground fair that we expected to gather you know, thousands of signatures were uh, canceled. And in a pandemic, knocking on doors is a more pro- problematic and so forth. So um, the reason that I say donations is we know that we will have to uh, use and are already using um, paid gatherers, in other words, people who gather signatures for a living um, to get us over that finish line. And so people that can get out there in the cold months and, and find a spot to gather with us, um, our website is you know has a donate button and it has a, a volunteer button and um, we'd be very happy to have people come to the website. It's it's very uh, you know um, obvious website address for we've been saying we're Maine Healthcare Action. Our website is mainhealthcareaction.org. And um, I also want to mention that uh, next week, December eighth, there's an organizing call for volunteers with Betsy Sweet, um, also a former. Uh, candidate for elected office here in Maine that many people know is an advocate of universal health care. I will be on that call and some of our Maine Health Care Action staff and volunteers. It's at 7 p.m. on Zoom on Wednesday, December 8th. And if you go to our website, um, mainehealthcareaction.org, you can see the link to register for the Zoom call. Or we're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter and click that link and sign up to be on the call. So um, we think this is doable. It is a team effort and anyone uh, out there in WERU audience that wants to be part of the team, you could be very, very meaningful in helping us uh, take it over the finish line here in December. Great. And I'll just uh, mention that because we're um, recording this one week and our show airs on that same day, we're talking about tonight when your when your Zoom call is happening. Um, that's the magic of recorded radio. Um, I'll just, Valerie, I'll come to you in just a minute, but I'll just remind listeners that you're listening to Talk of the Towns. So we're talking about how Maine is working towards a resolution. Um, uh, 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 excuse me, the... the uh, resolve um, that might lead to universal health care. And with us on the call are uh, Lisa Savage, you've just heard from, um, an action, uh, health care action, main health care action board member, retired educator from the town of Solon, Rachel Herbner, a volunteer from Belfast, Valerie Dornan, a volunteer, retired teacher um, living in Hancock, and Bill Clark, a retired physician in Brunswick. Um, but L- L- Valerie, what would you add to our conversation at this point? I wanted to follow up on what uh, Lisa Savage just said, that if you're um, at all tempted to come and work as a volunteer, I thoroughly encourage it. It's actually fun. More than half of the people, much more than half of the people that I talk to are really eager to sign the petition. 
A lot of them say, I don't have any health insurance. This is so needed. Um, you, you have, it just makes you feel good that you're trying to improve a situation and that you're trying to help people. And I know, I know that it would make our society, which I love Maine. I love Maine to, to bits, but it would make our society more caring because people wouldn't be so, they wouldn't have the weight of the worry of finances when they went to the, went to the doctor. Um, let me, let me just let me just ask um, Rachel, what was, was what was it like to sign up to, as a volunteer? Um, what was your experience in, in terms of training and support? If someone's listening to our program today, what could they expect if they signed up as a volunteer? What was your experience? Well, wonderful communication from the organization and um, and yes, um, training, plenty of training and you know discussion, too, about you know, how to respond to people's questions, you know, just as, you know, as I said, one of the questions, how are we going to pay for it? And so, um, so you really um, get enough information so that you can feel comfortable and speak to people easily about it. Great. Valerie, go ahead. Um, yeah. And also you could be in a situation where somebody would um, go, uh, go alongside with you, somebody who's an experienced volunteer, if you wanted that as well. Great. But um, I want to defer to Bill, because uh, Dr. Clark, because he's had his hand raised a few times. Okay, go ahead, Bill. Sure. Just uh, to comment on one other aspect of talking to people, um, sometimes when we say, well, the legislature will do the details, they go, oh, my God, no, not government, you know. <laughs> and I want to point out that we have a very effective legislature at the present time. And, in fact, in this past session, where all of us have testified, um, we came within a hair's breadth of passing on to the uh, full legislature the um, a, a real universal health care bill. I mean, the bill is written. Heidi Brooks was the main sponsor. There were a bunch of co-sponsors. The bill is written. The details are there. And what was finally passed was a uh, an amendment that said, well, we can't get this whole thing done right now, but as soon as we get a little federal support, and there is in fact a bill in Congress designed specifically to help states implement state-based healthcare programs, if we get that support, then this bill in Maine says we appoint a, a committee of experienced people to start developing the details. But I emphasize the details are already there. We've done, a, or the legislature has done a whole lot of the work. And there are a lot of policy people in Maine who, who would be willing and greatly able to help this turn out properly. Mm. Well, that's a whole wholly different situation than um, uh, even 10 years ago. Um, if the legislature was that close, had worked out the details, you've, you've really got a template for moving forward. Lisa, what would you add to that? Well, um, I do notice that you had mentioned Dirigo Health saying, you know, haven't we tried this before and, and what happened? Um, and I think that's a, a good question, but Dirigo Health was a much, much more limited. It was not universal health care. Um, it created a, a voluntary health care plan that was designed to give uh, smaller businesses, uh, employers with uh, fewer than 50 employees, and also self-employed individuals, an affordable option for the uh, purchasing private health coverage. And what happened is that when the Affordable Care Act came in, uh, 
during the Obama administration that uh, basically took the place of Dirigo Health. So Dirigo Health was discontinued in 2013. So this is far more comprehensive uh, than Dirigo Health was ever intended to be. Right. I think the important thing is that w- Maine and, and other states have been working on these issues for years. So um, it's not as though we're trying to start from scratch. And the resolve that you're proposing, um, it sounds like you would want to build on what's already been discussed and has already been talked about. Valerie, what would you like to add? Um, I wanted to say that um, it's very natural that people who don't haven't had experience of a universal health care system like I have, or like oh, quite a few people have had, they can't really imagine it. And there's a, there's a certain amount of fear that goes with it because it's fear of the unknown. And it's also change is hard. And I want to say that I've learned a lot about how other countries switched over to a universal health care system. And the same thing happened there. At first there was resistance because people weren't quite sure but within, for example, in Switzerland, within one or two years, they, if you, and the interviews they have with people there, they did not want to go back to what they had prior to that. And I have a postcard here from a friend in England, which nobody on the radio is going to be able to see, but it says the new National Health Service, and it was put out um, at the 70 years um, anniversary of the creation of the health service in England. Uh, it was a poster that was there and it said what it what so what they said in 1948 was your new national health service begins on the 5th of July what is it how do you get it it will provide you with all medical dental and nursing care everyone rich or poor man or woman ch- or child can use it or any part of it there are no charges there are no insurance qualifications but it is not a charity you are all paying for it mainly as taxpayers, and it will relieve your money worries in time of illness. So I want to reassure people. And on the back of this postcard, my friend wrote, I had a parathyroidectomy at the end of last month, and I'm feeling much better now. I am very grateful for the NHS and for the treatment and the care I received. Great, great. Well, we've got about um, seven um, minutes left. Um, maybe it's time, um, and, and I'll certainly give a chance for you to list your website at the very end, but um, this is kind of closing arguments. Um, so, uh, Valerie, um, I'll, I'll leave uh, you to think about it. Rachel, what would your closing argument be as to why you think Maine is ready to um, have universal um, health care? Val- uh, Rachel? Yes. Well, I do hear on the street as I'm collecting this overwhelming support and for a system like this and um, just so much frustration and anger about how people cannot afford health care. So I think that we really need to, to move forward now. The energy's there. Mm. Valerie, how would you make your closing argument for um, folks who might be thinking about this and, and folks that you might meet um, when you're collecting signatures? Two minor things, two quick things. One is paperwork. Everyone knows here how high their papers are when they've been to the doctor or had a procedure. My paperwork in England, one card. (laughs) I took that card when I changed doctors because I moved from London to Cornwall. And I asked my neighbors 
to recommend the doctors they liked, and I decided where I would wanted to go. I went to the office. I showed them my card once. Never again. All I had to do was call up and give my name, and the only paperwork I got might have been the occasional maybe yearly letter saying, come in for your checkup. Mm-hmm. That and also that, – so that was huge. But the biggest thing for me is I think people are ready to have a system that gives them peace of mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Bill Clark, what would you add to your closing argument for um, why we should have universal health coverage in Maine? It'll be better for patients, for the reasons Valerie's already stated. It'll be better for providers. And in fact, it will give us uh, much better health care outcomes for the entire population. Whether, whether you just had an auto, auto accident and need to get it fixed whether you've just had a, a little sore throat with your child and need to get attention, um, or whether it's a, a chronic, long-lasting, severe illness like so many people have, we'll all be better off, we'll all be paying less, and there'll be, as someone already said, a heck of a lot less paperwork. <laughs> Lisa Savage, uh, last um, to you, uh, what would your closing argument be for universal health care? I am an educator at heart, and the effect that the uh, the you know issue of the pressure on families who have children in school, who to who the family does not have adequate health care, is an educational issue that may be largely invisible to others who don't work in public education, but it is significant. It disrupts their housing. It it you know someone who doesn't have dental care for decades very often has teeth that don't allow them to be employed. They are not employable. And that has a a big effect on children's learning. You know, this is the future. We need doctors and nurses in the next generation too. So we should be, uh, you know, eliminating these barriers to uh, robust healthcare so that everyone can focus on their education and focus on uh, quality of life and not be uh, scared to be sick. That kind of peace of mind for school children it really, you can't, you know, you can't overestimate how important that is. Mm-hmm. So as you think about the next um, several weeks, um, where will um, people be able to sign uh, petitions? How are you going to get the, the word out? You've got this um, uh, webinar tonight, um, um, December 8th. Um, how else will people learn about this and, and get involved? Uh, Lisa, can you take up that, that, that answer that? Yes, we'll be uh, gathering at many of the events that happen during uh, December and into January, uh, craft fairs, Freeport Sparkle, uh, the Skowhegan holiday events around the Grinch and Whoville. Um, these are all places um, that you will be seeing uh, volunteers and paid uh, signature collectors. Again, our website uh, is a source of information about, okay, what dates and when, or social media. If you're a Facebook person, Find Maine Healthcare Action on Facebook, and it will have, you know, events and lists of uh, places that you could uh, sign up. And so uh, look for us out in public. We'll be happy to see you. And even if you've already signed, you know, ask a couple of friends or family members, don't you want to give the gift of universal health care? Great, great, great closing. Thank you very much. We've come to the end of the hour. Be sure and join us from 4 to 5 on the second Wednesday afternoon of each month for Talk of the Towns. Podcasts of our programs can be found in the archive section of the WERU website. 
If you have comments or suggestions for topics, please email us at news at weru.org. Please tune into our companion program, Coastal Conversations with Natalie Springle of University of Maine Sea Grant from four to five on the fourth Friday of each month. Our theme music is a medley from Coronac on a Balmain House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our guests in the studio. And I'm going to give Bill Clark a last word in just a minute. But um, the folks who are helping us today were Lisa Savage, a board member for Maine Healthcare Action, Rachel Herbener, a volunteer from Belfast, Valerie Dornan, a volunteer, retired teacher from Hancock, and Dr. Bill Clark. Uh, Bill, your, your last word. You had your hand up. I left you had the last word. I just want to say that you can find volunteers like in front of the post office in your town or on a street corner. I've been standing in front of Gulf of Maine Books right here in Brunswick on Main Street. There are people going by all the time. And as, as long as it's not raining or snowing, you're likely to find people out there gathering signatures. Great. Thanks so much. And thanks to our underwriters. Uh, Thanks to Amy Brown and Joel Mann for engineering our program. Stay tuned for Ralph Nader Radio from 5 to 6 and Jazz Straight Ahead with Larry Stahlberg from 6 to 8. This is Ron Beard, producer and host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good afternoon.